Welcome to the sermon podcast of Exodus Church, located in Belmont, North Carolina. For more information about our church and the many ways you can be involved, please go to our website at theexoduschurch.org or email us at info at theexoduschurch.org. Now, if you'll take your Bibles and turn to two places today, okay? Titus chapter 3, that's where we're going to start, and then uh, 2 Corinthians 8, and if you'll put something in 2 Corinthians 8, you know, marking it, a pen or a card or something, um, we're going to go to that uh, later in, in our sermon, okay? Titus 3, 2 Corinthians 8. So we've been in this series in the book of Titus called This Is Why. So Titus is a letter written by Paul to, the, to a young man that he has trained, developed, and launched into gospel ministry. And Paul has left Titus on the island of Crete. And he tells him in Titus 1.5, this is why I left you in Crete. And so Paul gives Titus his purpose for being there. He says, this is why. And then over the course of the letter, Paul unpacks uh, the what that Titus is to do. He's to develop gospel leaders. In fact, that's the first thing he's to do in chapter one. He's to develop gospel community uh, in that church. And we, we talked a lot about how gospel community accords with gospel doctrine. And you need, you need both of those in a church. Like, like a good meat and three has good meat and, good, and three good sides on it. You want a church that has good doctrine and good community, good gospel community. And then he's also to develop these people uh, and, and make sure they are living in gospel mission. So gospel doctrine leads to gospel community. It also leads to gospel mission. So when we are saved by Jesus, we don't just become different. We become devoted to good works is what Paul says in Titus 3. And all that radiates from a who. The why and the what radiate from a who, which is the centerpiece of Titus in chapter 2, verses 11 to 14, that who is Jesus, who gave himself for us so that we might be redeemed and purified and made zealous for good works. And so think about this with me. Paul drops Titus in the middle of this existing church that has all kinds of problems. They need, new leader, they need more leaders, they need better community, they need to be on mission, they need clarity around the gospel. And, and yet, at the end of Titus, he's going to call them to something. He's going to call them to generosity. Now, you'd think that Paul would just leave them alone. You know, like, hey, just work. Here's your list. Work on these three things, and I'll follow up with you if there's more. But no, Paul calls this church that needs all kind of work to generosity. And Exodus, look, I want to be clear with you. We need all kind of work. Okay, we're, I, I love this church, but I said last week, we're not a perfect church. Like we, there's all kinds of work that is needed here. And I believe that God is calling us to step into some of the things that Paul calls Titus to do here at the end of the letter. He's calling us to be a people of gospel generosity, and that's my hope for us today. Okay, So I'm going to read Titus 3, verses 12 to 14, then I'll pray, and we'll jump in. Look at Titus 3, verse 12. When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I've decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speed Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. Let's pray together. Father, we're really grateful to get together here today. Uh, Lord, we're, we're thankful for the privilege of being in this room and meeting with each other and singing and hearing your word and getting to see uh, people that we love and care for. And so, Lord, I pray 
that as we gather here, um, that you would meet with us through your word. We believe that all scripture is God-breathed and is profitable. Even the things at the end of these letters where it seems like just personal, personal information, we, we, we trust that these words are inspired and that they are profitable. And so, Lord, would you help us see wonderful things from your word today? Help us hear wonderful things from your word today. But most importantly, would you give us hearts that are receptive to your word? Give us hearts that are wide open to your word today. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, our main idea today, gospel doctrine creates gospel generosity. Okay? Gospel doctrine creates gospel generosity. We're going to start with gospel doctrine. Now, if you're looking at verses 12 through 14, you are rightly asking the question, where's the gospel there? Okay? There's no mention of Jesus' death on the cross. There's no mention of God's love for the world. You might say, where's the gospel? Well, I want to show you. Okay? First of all, we need to understand that in the book of Titus, like the centerpiece of Titus, from which everything radiates, is Titus 2, 11 to 14. Look at that with me. It says in verse 11, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Okay, The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, it says. And then, uh, so what, what Paul wants us to understand here in Titus is that God's grace has appeared, bringing salvation, and it appears most clearly in Jesus Christ. Look at verse 14. Who gave himself for us. What that means is that Jesus sacrificed himself on the cross, dying in our place, paying our debt, paying for our sin. He gave himself for us. And that work did three things here in verse 14. It says he gave himself for us to redeem us. That word redeem means to buy back, means to pay a debt. He redeemed us from what? From all lawlessness. Jesus did that for us. And to purify for himself. What that word purify means is clean and set apart for a purpose. That's what Jesus has done, but there's one more thing that Jesus has done by giving himself for us on the cross. Look at that with me. To purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. That's what he has done. He has made us zealous for good works. So the gospel doesn't just make us into people who do good works. It doesn't just make us into people who are willing to do good works. It makes us into people who are zealous for good works. And we understand the difference between those three things, right? Like if you tell your, your kid, hey, go upstairs and clean your room. You know when they do it and they huff and puff all the way up the stairs, right? You know when they're willing but not happy. And you know the difference between them being willing and not willing and not happy, but zealous to do what you've asked them to do. Well, that's what the gospel does. It makes us zealous for good works. And that phrase good works shows up three times in chapter three of Titus. Shows up in verse one, where we're to be uh, ready for every good work. It shows up in verse eight, where we're to be devoted to good works. And it shows up again in verse 14, where we are devoted to good works. Here's what I want us to understand. The gospel of Jesus does not just redeem us and purifies us. It changes our heart around good works. It makes us zealous for them, eager, devoted, enthused. And in chapter 3, verse 14, the context for good works there is generosity, okay? And so gospel doctrine creates gospel generosity, second point. 
gospel generosity. So these are the parts of God, Paul's letters that we tend to skip over, right? We, we kind of get to the end and we're like, okay, he's signing off. I don't need to read the rest of this, all right? But man, there are some great things in these sections. And I want to point out a couple of things. In verse 12, Paul tells Titus, he's sending some help. Look at verse 12. He says, when I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, you do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I've decided to spend the winter there. So Paul says, I'm sending two people. I want you to come see me. And then Paul calls Titus to lead the church toward gospel generosity in two primary ways. They are to be generous with people and with money. Let's start with people. He says in verse 13, do your best to speed Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way. Now, you can imagine Titus reading this letter. He's probably reading it out loud to the church, and they've already gone through this long list of things they got to do. One of them's developed leaders. And then here at the end, Titus gets to that and go, do your best to speed Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way? Like I'm to, I'm to send these guys? I've got to develop leaders. We've got to train people. And now you want me to send these leaders on? Paul is calling this church to gospel generosity with key leaders. Now, when I was thinking about this, I was thinking about the community groups in our church. You know, when, when your community group kind of starts to feel good, you know, like everybody loves each other, things are going well. You've got a leader who can kind of take your place every once in a while. People can, so you've got, you've got things, and it's just kind of going, right? And then Pastor Tyler comes to the leader and says, hey, we need to launch your group out. And you, and you, you want to say, hey, don't split my group. And he says, we don't split groups, we launch groups, it's different. You know, <laughs> you, know you know that conversation. And you know the feeling, like you're like, oh man, that's gospel generosity. It's when you send away key people so that more people can be served by the gospel. And it stings. In 2013, we sent out David Keene uh, and a group of about, well, about 20% 20, 20 of our people and about 20% of our budget to go plant a church in the north part of Charlotte. It stung. Like it, it, it stung to send away key leaders and a substantial amount of money to go see a church planted. But that's what we're called to. We're called to gospel generosity. That's what Paul calls Titus to lead this church to do. A church that needed a lot of work, a church that was not in a healthy place, he still calls them to send these two people away. He calls them to gospel generosity with their people. And then he calls them to gospel generosity with their money, verse 13. He says, see that they lack nothing. In other words, they need to have everything they need. You need to send them with everything they need. Paul calls this church to be generous with people and with money. Now, Titus is to lead this church to do these things. And Paul could trust Titus to do this because Titus had done this already before somewhere else. Okay? Um, if you would turn over to 2 Corinthians 8. 2 Corinthians 8. So Titus has already led a church toward gospel generosity. And we see that in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Uh, so we're going to kind of start in verse 1. In verses 1 through 4, um, there's a situation where the Christians we believe in Jerusalem needed money because of some things going on there. And Paul, through his ministry around the, uh, the Gentile world, had, had encouraged churches to be generous to support uh, not just their church, but the church other places. 
And so in verses one through four, uh, Paul is referencing these Macedonian Christians who had already taken up a collection to send to Jerusalem. And he reminds the Corinth, the Christians in Corinth that these Macedonian Christians had been generous even though they were very, very poor. And in verse 10 of chapter eight, Paul writes this. And in this matter, I give my judgment. This benefits you. And he's talking about them fulfilling their, uh, their commitment that he's about to talk about. Who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So Paul's saying, look, a year ago, you wanted to participate in this giving, uh, this, this collection. You wanted to do it. You said you would do it, and you didn't do it, Paul says. And so they send Titus to encourage this church to follow through on their commitment. Look at verse 6 of chapter 8. Accordingly, we urged Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. So Paul calls their giving an act of grace. Okay, he he doesn't he doesn't bring the bring the thunder as an apostle and say, hey, you've got to do this. He he calls it an act of grace, and he sends Titus to help them fulfill what they have already committed to do. Verse seven. But as you excel in everything, in faith, and speech, and knowledge, and all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. So he doesn't just want them to do what they said. He wants them to grow to grow in this act of grace, which is generosity. And so he's sending Titus to this church, and for the rest of 8 and 9, Paul's providing cover for Titus to help the people understand what gospel generosity is. And we're going to see four things from these, these next chapter and a half that show us what gospel generosity is, okay? First, gospel generosity is a genuine response to the gospel. Look at verse 8. He says, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. First thing we see here is that gospel generosity is a genuine response to the gospel. Again, Paul could have said in verse 8, hey, this is a command. I'm commanding you as an apostle. He could have done that as an apostle. But he's saying, no, this is an act of grace. This is something you agreed to do. And now show that you have a genuine response to the gospel by keeping your word, Paul's saying. And then he, he, he connects that to what Jesus has done for us. He says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Now that's talking about rich in spiritual things and getting forgiveness and the love of God and adopted into his family. If you're looking for a wealth prosperity church, you are in the wrong place, okay? This is not talking about that you might become rich financially, but that you might become rich spiritually here. And it's connected to what Jesus has done for us. And Paul wants him to understand that gospel generosity is a genuine response to the gospel. Next, Paul wants us to understand that gospel generosity must come from our hearts, verse 7 of chapter 9. Now, the rest of verse 8, he's commending Titus. Verse 9, chapter, uh, verses 1 to 5, he's talking about the gift they, that they are collecting and what it's going to be used for. Verse 7, he says, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, 
not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So what he's saying here is that gospel generosity must come from our hearts. And he says, first, each one must give as he has decided. So our giving should not be thoughtless, okay? We, we should give what we have decided. We are to be good stewards of the money God has entrusted to us. And we are to give what we have determined to give. Several years ago, you know, at EKE, we do a give, uh, an offering that we give to one of our partners to support missions somewhere else. And we usually, uh, we always uh, do this competition between the boys and the girls to see who gets the most money, right? Uh, and and, and I, I, you know, that's, so that's what we do. And um, several years ago, one of my kids came home, totally cleaned out piggy bank, totally, and, and gave it, not because of generosity, but because of competition, right? He, uh, I'm trying not to give away who it was. So, they, um, so then a couple of weeks later, there's something that is, it is desired. And we're having a conversation, and the conversation goes something like, I really want that, Dad. Well, do you have some money to... No, I gave it all at EKE. I gave it all away. I said, well, buddy, that was really generous. He said, maybe. <laughs> I said, I said, well, well but, you know, whatever. Um, so he had been thoughtless in his giving. Like he, he, had, he was just responding to competition, right? And Paul says each person, like it should come from our hearts. We should decide and we should give what we have determined in our heart to give. That's what Paul says. Then he says we should not give reluctantly. Now this word reluctant is connected to the word of grief or sorrow. In other words, you feel bad. Oh, man, I know I should give. And you give. like that. Paul's like, no, no. You should not give because you feel bad about not giving. Is what he's saying. And then he says, we should not give under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. So that, that idea of compulsion is the idea of constraint or duty. In a couple of weeks, Cheryl and I will celebrate our 26th wedding anniversary. And on that day, if I were to go to her and give her a present, and she would say to me, oh, sweetie, thank you. Why, why did you do this? And I said to her, well, we're married. It's my duty. You know, she would not be blessed. Neither would I, right? Like, it, it just would not be a fun, a fun day. And what, what, what Paul's getting at is we don't need to give because we feel bad for not giving. We don't need to give because we, we have some sense of duty to give. We need to give cheerfully. And the, word, the Greek word for cheerful is the word, we get the, the, the word we get hilarious from. There should be some hilarity about our giving. We should be excited and cheerful about giving, like, like Scrooge at the end of Christmas Carol, when he's just throwing around money, right? We, we should be uh, cheerful and in our giving. Paul wants us to see that gospel generosity comes from our hearts. Next, gospel generosity requires that we trust God. It requires that we trust God. Look at verse 8. It says, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. So, so gospel generosity requires that we trust God. It requires that we trust God for grace. Man, I love verse 8. Look, look at how he piles up all these words. God is able to make all grace 
Not some grace, not most grace, not 99%, like all, he says. He's able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. See that phrase, Titus 3, every good work, same phrase. He wants them to trust God for grace. And man, we need grace to give. We need God to give us grace to manage our money well, to steward what's been entrusted to us, and grace to trust him for provision. Look at verse 10. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food. Now, that's a phrase that encompasses everything from the beginning to the end of provision. They could not go to Food Lion and get bread. We couldn't either Friday, okay? Everybody had it. But, but they could not go to a grocery store and get bread. They had to trust God from seed to table. And what, what Paul is saying is he, that's God, who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply. So we got to trust God. we got to trust God to provide for us, not just to provide grace, but to provide what we need. And it says, he will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. What, 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 what Paul is saying here is that we are to trust God for grace to give and for provision to give. Gospel generosity requires that we trust God. It also makes us a conduit, not a container. Gospel generosity makes us a conduit, not a container. Look at verse 11. It says, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Notice the, notice the purpose of God's provision. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. God wants us to be a conduit, not a container. He, he wants us to be a pipeline of his provision, not, not, some, not some container of it. So we, we are stewards, not owners. There is not a cent we have that belongs to us. Everything we own belongs to God. And we are stewards of that thing. And what we are to do is to steward what God has provided to us in ways that honor him and that are generous. Now, listen, that does not mean you cannot enjoy what you have. It does not mean that you cannot enjoy what you have. In 1 Timothy 6, Paul tells Timothy how to, how to speak to rich people. He says this, As for the rich in this present age, now I want us to understand, this is all of us globally. Like in the global economy, all of us are rich. Now I know, I know all, there is a, a, a diversity of, social, of, social, of economic realities for us in this room. But in the global economy, all of us are rich, every one of us. And here's what he says. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty. In other words, don't be proud that you got money. Don't be haughty, he says. Nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. Like money can be gone in a moment. Like if 2008 didn't teach us that, we might be coming up to learn it again real soon. Money can be gone in a moment. A moment. So don't set your hope on riches, Paul says. But on God. But listen to what he says about God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Man, it's really okay if we enjoy what God has. It's okay that I enjoy my recliner. It's okay that I enjoy my Sonos stereo speakers around my house. 
It's okay that I enjoy driving my truck. It's okay that I enjoy what God has provided as long as I'm generous. As long as I'm generous. We are to be a conduit, not a container. And Paul reminds us here in uh, 2 Corinthians 9, verse 11, that we will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. Paul reminds us that our financial blessing is for the purpose of generous giving. Say that again. Let's reverse, go back. Paul reminds us that our financial blessing is for the purpose of generous giving. So I'm going to meddle as if I'm not meddling already. Okay, I'm going to meddle a minute. So if you got a raise this year, man, praise God. Enjoy that. Enjoy some fruit that comes from that, and it should affect your giving. It should affect your giving. If you got a bonus, man, awesome. Enjoy something amazing with that, and it should make us generous. Randy Alcorn says it this way, God raises our standard of living so we can raise our standard of giving. That's what Paul's getting at in verse 11. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. And what we see here in 2 Corinthians and in Titus is that gospel doctrine creates gospel generosity. That that God's, God's gospel of grace, where Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us, to purify us and to make us zealous for every good work. And part of those good works is generosity. So how do we apply this? Just a question. Does our life display gospel generosity? Does my life, does your life, does our life together as a church display gospel generosity? A few ways to ask that again. Um, are we zealous for the good work of gospel generosity? Are we zealous for it? Not, not just doing it, not just maybe willing, but are we, are we enthused and excited? Are we giving from cheerful hearts? Are we giving from cheerful hearts? Or are we thinking, man, I know, I feel bad. I know I made a promise, it's my duty. Or, like, or, or are we giving from hearts that are cheerful in our giving? Are we trusting God for provision? Are we living as a conduit or a container? Are we living as a conduit of God's blessing or a container for it? Does our life display gospel generosity? It's a really important question. It's a really important question. So what about our life as a church? What about us all together? Well, man, I want to celebrate some things for a moment, okay? I want to celebrate a couple things. First, um, I want to celebrate God's provision last year. God provided more than we needed for our operating budget. He actually provided more than we thought he would provide. Every year we make a budget, we kind of think, hey, we're, we're, uh, we're hopeful based on numbers, what we think that God might provide. Last year, God provided more than that. Man, thanks be to God. We're working on a report to provide for you in a couple of weeks to show you not just what God provided, but how it was used to do gospel ministry. And so, man, I'm, I'm just grateful. I'm grateful for God's provision. I'm grateful for God's grace in our lives. And I'm grateful for your faithfulness and generosity. So thank you. And I want us to celebrate that together. I want us to celebrate the money we gave away as a church. We gave away over $200,000 last year as a church to fund work outside of us. Over uh, almost 170,000 of that went to missions, other places. 
Um, and we gave over $37,000 toward international offering to, to our partners around the world. That does not include the thousands of meals that were taken to everybody who was sick. That does not include um, angel tree giving. That does not include all those other things. That's just the things that were given, specific, money specifically given here for this purposes. And so, man, I am, I am just excited and grateful for God's grace and his generosity and your faithfulness to give as a church. And I want to celebrate that. I want to celebrate that. Now, you might hear that and think, well, all right, y'all made budget. You might, I don't, I don't probably don't need to give. I mean, sounds like y'all are doing good. I don't need to give. Well, here's what I would say to that. I would say this. Um, it's not about what the church needs. It's about what the Lord wants to do in your heart. Okay? So it's not about making budget. All right? It's really not. Like, if we make budget and our people are not generous, that's not a win. What God wants us to be is a people of gospel generosity. People who are zealous to give. People who give from cheerful hearts. People who trust God's provision, people who live as a conduit, not a container for his provision. And again, if we make budget, but everyone's not being generous, that is not a win. It's not a win for us. And so it's not about what the church needs. It's about what the Lord wants and what he wants for you and your heart. And so does your life display gospel generosity? Or does your your life display the kind of generosity Paul describes in Titus and in 2 Corinthians. Now, maybe you're listening to this and you're not giving, and there are a lot of reasons for that, okay? Uh, maybe you don't, call, don't yet call Exodus home. Well, we'd love for you to, okay? We'd love for you to find a group and get connected, and we, we, would, love, we would love for this to be the place that you call home as a church. We'd love for you to do that. And we'd love to talk to you about next steps. There's a connect corner right outside past these gray doors. You can learn about groups and how to serve and how to get connected so you get communication and how to participate in giving. We would love to help you do that. Maybe, maybe, you, just, maybe you just haven't started. You know, you, you call Exodus home, you're committed here, but you, you just haven't taken that step to give. I want, I want to encourage you to do that today. Just take that step and give what you've decided in your heart, okay? Now, maybe you've never given before. And maybe some of that is connected to, man, I have heard about churches and money, and I don't give to churches because I don't trust the people who are handling the money there. Now, I get it. Like, I read those articles too, okay? Um, I read an article recently that said only 12% of people trust pastors in the world. That was just below car, car salesman. It was a blessing to read. Um, so, no, I don't feel bad for me. I get it. Like, uh, I don't trust pastors either, so it's okay. <laughs> um, <clears throat> well, some. So, um, maybe you would say, look, I just don't trust the people handling the money there, so I'm not going to give. Here's what I would say to you, and I mean this with all the love. This is, my, this is my grace face right here, okay? All the love I have for you. If you do not trust the leaders of this church, you should not be here. Okay? And I, and I want you here. I'd love for you to stay here forever till Jesus comes back. But if you do not trust the leaders of this church and you would say, I can't give because I can't trust the leaders there, you should find somewhere else where you trust them. It's better for your soul for you to be somewhere else that you trust than for you to stay here. But if you can be here 
and you trust us, then you need to deal with what God's Word is calling you to today. Now, some of us have never given before because we've just never given before. And I get it. Like when Cheryl, uh, the, the first time that I started giving regularly post high school, okay? Post high school, the first time I started giving regularly was about a month after Cheryl and I got married. We sat down in March to talk about our budget. And she looks at me and she says, so we're going to give regularly to our church, right? I'm like, yeah. I mean, I was far too self-righteous to say no at that point. And, and I, was a, I was a complete mess with money. Like I couldn't spell budget, right? I, it was just awful. But we determined that, yep, we're going to give. And we started giving. And it's never not been hard. Okay? It's never not been hard. There have always been things I'd rather spend the money on. You know what I mean, right? Like if, you know, but rather is the wrong word. There have always been things I could have spent the money on, okay? But we, we determined in our heart that we needed to give. And, and listen, maybe, maybe you're in a financial spot where giving is really, really hard. And, and I don't believe God's word is going to call us to make foolish financial decisions. But we have people in our church who can help you with your budget, and help you figure out how to steward the money that God's provided for you. And there is a sense in which every act of giving is a step of trust. And I remember early, um, Cheryl, was, uh, Cheryl was at home taking care of a baby. I was working two or three jobs to, to kind of make ends meet and provide. And we had purposed to give a certain amount of our income. And it was a particularly difficult month for us. And, and we stepped out in trust and trusted the Lord with that. And we looked at our checking account and our, what we called a savings account. And we, we looked at that and thought, man, what are we going to do? We had a baby. He needed baby food. And so, Cheryl, we went to our, we were, I was a college pastor at a church at that time. We went to went to church that Sunday, and this, this woman we had never met in the church, like she wasn't involved in our college ministry, we didn't know her at all, she comes up to Cheryl and says, hey, uh, God told me to give you $100 for that for, so you could buy baby food. And Cheryl starts weeping and, and you know, the whole, the whole thing. Listen, I know, I understand being in a hard spot. I understand that. And we trust God to provide. We really do. We trust God for grace, and we trust him to provide. And he's always been faithful. He's always been faithful. Now, anytime we talk about money, that always generates guilt and shame. Um, that was my experience of money growing up. Like money was always a source of shame and guilt and and even early in marriage, and even today, there's still moments where talking about money just kind of connects with shame and guilt for me. And if that's you today, if, that, if, if all this talk about generosity and, and money and how you view it and all those things, if that's connecting with shame and guilt for you, there's only one person to take that to, and it is not Dave Ramsey. You can take him some other things, but the only place to take shame and guilt is to the person who gave himself for you, to redeem you to pay for all your sin, in, in, involving money and everything else, to purify us, 
from every mistake and sin and error and wrong and to make us zealous for good works. And so listen, I have absolutely zero desire for you to leave here feeling bad about giving. I have zero desire for you to give out of grief or out of duty. My hope is that God's gospel of grace will make all of us people who are zealous for good works. And part of that good work is gospel generosity. That's my hope today. That's my hope. Let's pray together. Father, you are so good to us. Thank you for loving us and sending Jesus to to die in our place, not just to redeem us and to make us new and to purify us, but Lord, to give give us hearts that are enthused and devoted and excited about being involved in what you're doing in the world both in how we live and in what we do and then how we, how we steward the money that you've provided. And so, Lord, as we think about what your word says in this regard, Lord, I pray, I really do pray that you would give us hearts that are open to your word and that our, our hearts would receive this word and that it would find good soil in our hearts and that it would produce fruit in our lives. Lord, for, for those who are, uh, who are feeling shame and guilt around this, Lord, I pray that you would remind them of your gospel, that Jesus became poor so that we might become rich, that you are able to provide all grace for all sufficiency at all times, for all things, that you have grace for us today, that, that your desire is that we would be cheerful, not sorrowful or, or, or in... in, in um, responding in duty, Lord. So help us, help us to see, help us to hear, help us to respond to your gospel today. And we pray this in Christ's name, amen.